What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Journey the Church here on Wednesday night. Very grateful that everyone's here. Thanks to the cooks. Thanks to all the people who helped to set everything up tonight. Thanks for the worship. Thanks for the communion. Urango always brings it. Huh? God speaks through him in a very powerful way. In a way that we like. I mean, I always get pumped up when that guy comes up here and just starts yelling. I don't even know what he says. He's just like barking at us. But I, I've actually started to listen to what he says, and it's like really good stuff. So, you know, people just get hyped up when someone's talking loud. But Urango's got a heart, and it's amazing. Um, and, and so do you guys. You guys are awesome. It's beautiful to hear you sing during, uh, during worship. So it's phenomenal. Uh, well, it's good to be here tonight, um, being at the hospital a lot lately. That's what we've been up to. Our little boy, Ezekiel Fox Case is still in the NICU. We got a picture of him. We gave him a bath the other day. Here he is. Yeah. Look at that. Filling in a little bit, you know. He's up to like five pounds, three ounces now. So he's doing great. We love him. Uh, but being at the hospital every day, sometimes multiple times during the day, I've learned a lot of lessons. I've learned a lot about germs. You know, whenever we want to see him, we have to go through this vigorous uh, scrubbing routine where we have like these scrubbers and we have to scrub for three minutes just to go in to see him. And if we're sick, if we have a sniffle, a sore throat, anything like that, we, we can't go and see him because of the germs. It's a very... Uh, very, you know, sterile environment. It needs to be for all the babies in there. I've learned a lot about the human body, the amazing mystery that it is, and the phenomenon. They just did this brain scan the other, the other day on Sunday. I found out about it, like, I'm doing worship, and I find out that, like, my, my son is having a brain scan going. That's kind of scary, but they have, like, all of these wires and, and things in his brain, and uh, tests came back great, but... Uh, which is phenomenal, but they, they also said that, they said that he has like very high voltage, which is good, I guess. A lot of brain activity, which is a good thing. You don't want low voltage. Uh, but the brain like produces, I don't know, electricity somehow. I've learned a lot about the human body and germs. I've learned a lot about medical advances as well. It's phenomenal to hear about what new things science is, is contributing and how God is empowering people to come up with new discoveries and stuff. Because I think about it, if, you know, if this were, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, my wife and my son wouldn't be here today. And so uh, praise God for that and praise God for the people. Uh, I've learned a lot also about health. It makes sense being in a facility that's full of like sick people. I would learn something about health there in the hospital. The other day I came across an article titled, This is what happens to your body as you die of dehydration. I thought, wow, that, that's exciting. Let me take a look at this. So let me, let me read it for you. It began like this. Water makes up about 55 to 65% of your body. It's a crucial ingredient that helps your brain to think, your blood to flow, and your muscles move. But what happens after you sweat through a spin class, spend a day at the beach, or simply ignore your thirst? Dehydration is different for everybody. It depends on how much you're exercising and the temperature around you and how much you typically sweat, but it can get dangerous quick. Stage one, thirst. 
When thirst kicks in, your body clings to all remaining moisture. Your kidneys send less water to your bladder, darkening your urine. Gross. And as you sweat less, your body temperature rises. Your blood becomes thicker and sluggish. To maintain oxygen levels, your heart rate increases. Stage two, fainting. Your blood is so concentrated that the results decrease in blood flow, and it makes your skin shrivel. Yuck. Your blood pressure drops, making you prone to fainting. You've basically stopped sweating, and without this coolant, you start to overheat. Stage three, organ damage. Your body is having trouble maintaining blood pressure. To survive, it slows blood to non-vital organs such as your kidneys and gut, causing damage. Without your kidneys filtering your blood, cellular waste quickly builds up. You're literally dying for a glass of water. And then stage four, death. You need to drink some water, stat. If it's hot out, your uncontrollable body temperature means your vital organs risk overheating. Liver failure will probably kill you. But if conditions are mild, toxic sludge builds up in your blood and your coroner's report will will most likely read kidney failure. Is anybody thirsty? Right now you're like, I need some water. Drink up, drink up. Uh, Well, our passage tonight in the Gospel of John is all about water. John chapter 4 opens up this story of Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well. And it begins with something a little bit different, but something also related to water. We're going to be spending a couple of weeks with this story with Jesus and the woman at the well. But let's begin tonight with some good old H2O in a different sense, in the sense of baptism. So if you're able to stand, let's stand as we read from John 4. One through three. Says Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. God, tonight we ask that you would speak to us in a loud and profound way. Lord, that you would touch us. In ways that we need to be touched, Lord, that you would break down the walls that we have built up, that you would release us from the chains that we have or the world has or the enemy has bound us up in. I pray tonight, Lord, that we would have a refreshment, an interaction with you, the God who loves us and sustains us, the God who we need more than ever. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. And as you take a seat, we're going to do a little table talk to, to kick things off. We just talked about baptism here. So talk to the people around you about the following. What's baptism? Have you been baptized? If so, briefly describe the experience. If no, and you're interested, discuss that desire with the group. Okay? Ready, go. All right, well, let's finish the thought here.
it's pretty neat to look around the tables and, and see, like, at the tables, some of the people that we were able to baptize, you know. And so hopefully you explained what baptism was if you were baptized, especially by us here at Journey of the Church. Hopefully you were able to articulate that. Sometimes it's difficult. Like, what is baptism? We're talking about wa- water baptism right here. Well, it's simply a public declaration of your faith. You're, you're saying to everybody, I'm going to follow Jesus with my entire life. Now, there's n- nothing magical that happens when you go in the water and then come out of it, but it's something that's very a defining moment in your life. It's not something that will save you, but when you go under the water, you're dying to your sins and you're rising again with Christ into new life. And now, the baptism that we do is a little bit different than what John the baptizer, in the way in which he was baptizing. He was baptizing in what's called a baptism of repentance. I'm going this way, and I'm running into trouble. I'm going away from God as far and fast as I can, and I'm going to turn my life around, and I'm going to follow God. That's a a baptism of repentance, and so people would come to John at the Jordan River and be baptized in a, a way of of cleansing their sin, in a sense, before God, living a new life. Well, the baptism that we see here is the, the full immersion. People will get dunked in the water and, and come right out of it. And this is what happens. Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them. His disciples did. Verse 3 says, So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Well, the author doesn't tell us why. Like, why would you go back to Galilee, which is in the north? Well, we don't know, but he heads up north, and as we will see, verse 4 says, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Really? He had to? He had to go through Samaria on the way? Not really. Not really. If we look at a map you can see that the the normal route would have completely avoided Samaria if you were a a Jew who would have avoided Samaria and its repulsive Samaritans. You would go up the east side of the Jordan River because you were avoiding Samaria and its repulsive Samaritans. But the concept of avoidance and Jesus... Those things don't go hand in hand. If you've read the the Gospels, if you know anything about Jesus, you know that that he didn't avoid tough decisions or tough people or tough circumstances. Jesus is not repulsed by tough decisions or tough people or tough circumstances, but sometimes I am, right? I definitely am. You know? So maybe I need to incorporate more of this had-to attitude into my own life. This had-to or have-to mentality. I have to do this not just because I necessarily feel like doing it, but maybe because it's what Jesus would do or what Jesus is doing or what he's calling me to do. Something to think about. To me, this statement that he had to go through Samaria on the way, I think it means that God's got plans, that God has a detour. And I always find out that I I come into interaction with God often through the detours that I experience in life. You, You ever realize that? Like the things that interrupt your plan and your path 
are often like God right there. And you come into contact or you're, you're blindsided in a sense by God. Well, Jesus is God and so he's got other plans. Verses 5 through 6a says, Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now maybe you've heard those names before, Jacob and Joseph. We've got to go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, to Genesis. And in chapter 48, verse 22, is like everybody's on their deathbed at the end of Genesis, at least Jacob and, and Joseph. Jacob gives his son Joseph, remember the guy who wore the, the technicolor coat, many different colors, uh, an extra portion of land. Land that he had bought from a guy named Shechem, uh, which later became an area earlier in Genesis. Well, Jacob's well was there. That's what the beginning of 6a says. It's probably because he dug it way back when. Well, verses 6 through 9 says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily. Whoa. The humanity of Jesus exposed right here. It says that Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily. Now, there's a view in theology, it's, it's a heresy, uh, it was called docetism, which basically believed that Jesus was 100% God, but not 100% human. He only appeared to do so. Like, when he was walking on the, the dirt, he was only appearing to walk on the dirt. He was actually kind of like floating above it, because he was divine. Well, this view, obviously, gets trashed here when we see that Jesus was tired from the long walk, and Jesus sat wearily. We believe and we see it in Scripture that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And would still be. But this is intriguing here. Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily, says beside the well, about noontime. Verse 7 says, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So there's a lot that's going on here culturally that we might not understand. But if we just look at the text that's here in front of us, we can sense the tension that's going on. This is what the Samaritan woman said. Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. And then also she said, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Well, let's talk about Samaritans and Jews. There's a whole, I like wrote a whole book on this stuff. Uh, so there's plenty to talk about, but we'll Keep it short and sweet. Samaritans and Jews. Jews did not particularly like the Samaritan people because, well, they were regarded as racial and religious half-breeds. They would have no dealings with them. They were the intermixed leftovers from the Assyrian conquest. Think back to King David, right? David defeats Goliath. He's not the first king, he's actually the second king because Saul came before him. So we've got David, or we've got Saul, then David, and then Solomon, right? The wise who had many 
many wives. And uh, after Solomon, you have the united monarchy becomes the divided monarchy. The, the nation of Israel is split in two. You have the northern kingdom of Israel, and then you have the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel was composed of ten tribes. Now, there was a big bad empire on the rise about 722 B.C., a couple hundred years after Solomon and after the split of the United Monarchy, called the Assyrian Empire. They came and completely destroyed the northern kingdom called Israel. Take those ten tribes and intermix those people with other conquered people from other conquered places. And what do you do? You essentially wipe their cultural heritage and distinct identity off the face of the map and out of the books of history. And so here in what used to be the northern kingdom of Israel, you have this intermixed people, people who used to be the Jews who are now intermixed with other conquered people. They therefore became the Samaritans. Did that make sense at all? Okay, cool. Good. Uh, well, these people and the Jews went at it. A lot. The Samaritans opposed the rebuilding of the temples, the temple in Ezra's day. So after the Babylonian captivity, the people come home to rebuild the temple. The Samaritans said, no thanks. They put obstacles in the way. And they actually helped the Syrians wage war against the Jews in the second century. They set up their own temple on Mount Gerizim. And this was in competition with the temple of Jerusalem. And so because of this, the Jewish high priest in 128 B.C. burned the temple at Mount Gerizim to the ground. So you see this conflict going both ways. Both groups would believe in the one true God, but both are at odds with each other. They only accepted the Pentateuch as authoritative and looked for a personal Messiah who would be like Moses. So a lot to take in there, but hopefully that gives you a brief overview of the Samaritan people. But the general assumption that this Samaritan woman that Jesus comes into contact with at the well, she's playing off this idea that Jews by and large viewed Samaritans as ritually impure and ceremonially unclean. So if a Jew used a drinking vessel like a cup or a bucket that a Samaritan had previously used, if they even touched it like Jesus is asking to do. They would become ritually impure, ceremonially unclean. In other words, it's a big religious no-no. To give you an idea about this, uh, I made a big religious no-no uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago. I don't put a whole lot of stock in religion or religiosity. I just think that it's all about Jesus and following Jesus and trying to model your life after Jesus. Uh, but the other day I made a big religious no-no. And I think in religious contexts, some religious contexts, I might become religiously unclean, ritually impure, morally corrupt, or wh whatever it may be. It may have been. I was at the, uh, the hospital, St. John's, which is a obviously a Catholic hospital, hence the name St. John's. And I, I'm there in the NICU, and I'm washing, I didn't tell Tara I was going to tell this story, but I'm washing out the breast pump. Ladies, you may know, moms, you may know what a breast pump is. I don't have a picture of it. I won't display it for you, <laughs> anything like that. I have tried it uh, just to make sure it was working. 
but I'm washing out the breast pump because that's like all I can do to help, right? Wash out the breast pump. So that's kind of like my job. And I'm there in the NICU and I'm washing it out and the tap is running and I see like there's a, a bottle on the sink, right above the sink. And I'm like, oh, it looks like a soap bottle. And so I, I grab it and I, it says, uh, holy water. I'm like, oh, ha, 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 very funny, holy water. We're at the Catholic hospital. They got soap here called holy water. Awesome. You know, I spray it all over the breast pump. And I start washing it. I'm like, hey, no suds or anything. It's, this is terrible soap. And Tara's like, what are you doing? That's holy water. So I, I mean, I need to probably write the Pope uh, an apology and stuff. But at least the breast pump is holy now. I mean, that's it, you know. But it's, it's a big religious no-no, I guess. I don't really know what holy water is. Maybe if you're a Catholic or are Catholic, you may know what that is. I don't. I'm sorry if that was insensitive. Um, but maybe I became richly impure, ceremonially unclean. But I wasn't asking for it. It wasn't like I was trying to do that. But here Jesus is. It's like he is, right? He's like looking for this cultural conflict. Because that's what Jesus does. He breaks down all these cultural walls and defenses that we put up. He says, no. But Jesus is here saying, hey, Samaritan woman, please give me a drink. She says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Uh, well, I'm thirsty, maybe. Verse 10, Jesus doesn't reply like that. He said, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Better than Brita, more spectacular than smart water, more phenomenal than Fiji, more awesome than Aquafina or Arrowhead, more dynamic than Dasani, more profound than Perrier, more satisfying than San Pellegrino, and more lovable than LaCroix. Or as uh, my Canadian friend Burton Cote would say, Le Croix. <laughs> Every time I say, oh, I'll have Le Croix, people are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Just say La Croix, like an American. <laughs> Living water. You know, it's interesting and a little confusing that Jesus calls water living. Like living water. In order to be a living organism, you have to have at least one cell. These cells are responsible for that organism's living nature. And water is non-living. But as we see here, Jesus isn't talking about water on a biological level or a physical level, but on a level that's even more real. So let's do some table talk before we get into all of that. What is Jesus talking about here with the gift that God has for you? He said, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. What is that gift and how do you understand slash receive slash Live it. Go. You're going to have to read that like three times before it makes sense. Yeah, I think here that the, uh, the gift that God has for you that Jesus is talking about is obviously like eternal life or something like that, everlasting life. And you realize that eternal life starts now. Like 
We are living for eternity right now. That it's a, a reality we live in, not just a state that we enter upon death. It starts now. Verse 11 says, But sir, the Greek is kurios, which can mean sir or lord. What we see happening here in the life of this woman is something very common in the Gospel of John. It's what's called a spiral of understanding. She begins to see who he is, and it's like a spiral of understanding, getting closer and closer to who he actually is. First he was a Jew, now he is something more. He's Sir or Lord. He will later become prophet and Messiah in her understanding of who he is. It's a spiral of understanding, a gradual understanding of and respect for Jesus. She says, but Sir or Lord... You don't have a rope or a bucket, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? This idea that she is misunderstanding one of his statements is also a common theme in the Gospel of John, Misunder- misunderstanding statements that Jesus will then correct. But, but you can't blame her. Linguistically, that is in terms of language, it's very confusing, actually. The word translated here as living in Greek is often referring to flowing water. So she thought Jesus was talking about some unknown source of drinkable water, like a stream or a, a waterfall or a reservoir. But Jesus was speaking of living water as a spiritual reality. Ultimately, a figure of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John. But the woman thought that he was speaking about flowing fresh water. Well, verse 12 says, she continues here, And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? If I were Jesus, I would have been like, yeah, I am. Uh, How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Well, the Samaritan woman actually builds here a convincing case. Uh, Jesus You don't have the tools for the job, and you don't have the pedigree either. Not the dog food, but the historical wherewithal, the ancestral lineage or or heritage. You know, Jacob, he was a great man, and he gave us this well. Who are you? Her misunderstanding here opens the floodgates of opportunity for Jesus to respond, to explain what he really really meant here. Listen, Linda, or Susan, or Karen. You've seen that video? That's pretty cool. Just look that up. Listen, Linda, uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about on YouTube. But he he says, like, listen, Linda, Susan, Karen, whatever, whatever her name is, I'm not even talking about water. Not a stream, not a waterfall, not a reservoir, not even a vending machine. Jesus replied in verse 13 and 14, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. One of my favorite things about Rome, if you've ever been to Rome, is that they've got free water. Free water Everywhere, And I don't mean like in the stores, free bottled water or anything like that. But there are over 2,500 fountains of free, safe, ice-cold, uncontaminated with chemicals, free from added salt, fresh 
spring water. And that's like a, an app you can get of all of the locations where you can find this water. Um, I thought it was awfully fresh. Uh, Jeffrey Odell Bonesaw Barnett said it definitely wasn't for him in his experience. Very colorful experience that I'm probably not going to share on stage because that's uh, not appropriate, I'm told. But it's piped, this water, into the drinking fountains directly from the mountains surrounding Rome by an aqueduct that was originally created by the Romans centuries ago. And there's enough water for every single family living in Rome for them to have every single day 145 gallons of water to drink. That's a lot of water. Free? Safe, ice cold, uncontaminated with chemicals, free from added salt, fresh spring water. And you know, that's what we should actually be like as Christians, as followers of Jesus. That's what Jesus actually offers us. Free, safe, ice cold, uncontaminated with chemicals, free from added salt, fresh spring water. For dry and barren, thirsty wasteland. But how many of us are actually dying of thirst? We're parched or dry throat. We're suffering fainting spells and organ damage because we're dehydrated. Let's do some talk about that. Are you thirsty or hydrated, spiritually speaking? And then how do you keep from being spiritually dehydrated? Ready, go. But here we see in this passage, at the beginning of this conversation with Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, we learn here that Jesus is the living water. That he is the living water and his living water is better than anything else. It sustains, it quenches thirst, it produces life. And, and not just for us, but for the people around us. That's what a fountain does. Jesus is the bare necessities of life. And we see this as the Gospel of John unfolds. Here he is, the living water. He will also be called the bread of life. He's the two essential things that we need in order to survive. And I think that's pretty profound here, that this life that Jesus gives us, it satisfies all our needs and it springs up into eternal life. But, like, how do I do this? How do I... You know, take a big old gulp of this living water. What does that actually look like in a practical sense, on a daily sense? Well, I think it has to do with habits that we have. I mean, obviously, yeah, coming to church, being involved in the community of God here. Uh, but daily devotion, reading the Bible, praying, listening, being quiet. Serving, loving, giving. I mean, the list goes on and on of, of ways in which we can be quenched. Or else, man, we are so lost. I don't know how people do it without Jesus in their life. And I know you guys know that. You're here on Wednesday nights trying to pursue God and live with each other, love each other in a deeper way. We got to continue doing that on the other days too. And I know you do. I know you do. I see it because I see the people and I, I, I see that we are all, or you guys are all at least, 
bubbling springs of, of life. And, uh, you know, we help one another through that and through these difficulties, the trials, because life is very challenging. You know, another, another thing I, I want to bring to your attention is that, yeah, Jesus is living water. He's come to bring life and life to the full. And how do I consume this living water? One of the a, a great ways of doing this is to apply yourself, you know, get an app, an application. We have apps uh, for you today or a brand new app, Journey. The church has an app now. You know, like those apps you have, Facebook or, you know, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, all that. Now there's Journey to compete with all of that. It was pretty neat. Uh, all you have to do is, is go to, like, your, I don't know, app store. I don't know what it is on Android, but on, uh, on iPhone, you go to your app store, you type in Journey the Church Camarillo, and then it'll take you right to it. And it's got all of this wonderful stuff. You can, you can listen to sermons. You can take your own notes. You can read the Bible on the app. You, you get to, to know what's coming in, uh, in the next couple of weeks on the calendar as well. So check it out. Uh, if you're a tech person, uh, help the people around you to, to download it themselves. So you can be on your phone even more now. Um, not that you need to be, but uh, it's a great way to maybe, uh, you know, get deeper with God. So let's thank him for tonight. Lord, I thank you that you are the living water. And God, we're so thirsty. I'm so thirsty. And I feel like sometimes I'm just running a marathon and I forgot to drink water. You know, I set out each day and I just go, 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 go. And I I need to stop and get hydrated first because it's so important, Lord. And I need to continue to hydrate throughout the day to be in close contact with you and with the brothers and sisters around me. And Lord, I know that's true for, for other people in this room tonight. Help us to figure out ways to incorporate more of you into our lives. That you would increase, as John the Baptist said, and that we would decrease. But Lord, we know that as we decrease and as you increase in our lives, we become more ourselves than we've ever known before. We thank you for the refreshment that you give to us. How you just set us right and you remind us that you love us. Because you do and we don't know why. But thanks for doing that. I thank you for these wonderful, beautiful people here tonight. And I pray for their hearts. I pray for, for the joys and struggles that they are going through. That you would provide refreshment at every twist and every turn. Nor that you would bring us back safe and sound. We love you and we praise you. Help us to change this world. Amen.